Section 34 A Matrimonial Bureau. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Hirsch. There is another direction in which something ought to be done to restore the natural advantages enjoyed by every rural community which have been destroyed by the increasing tendency of mankind to come together in huge masses. I refer to that which is, after all, one of the most important elements in every human life, that of marrying and giving in marriage. In the natural life of a country village, all the lads and lasses grow up together. They meet together in religious associations, in daily employments, and in their amusements on the village green. They have learned their ABC and pothooks together, and when the time comes for pairing off, they have had excellent opportunities of knowing the qualities and the defects of those whom they select as their partners in life. Everything in such a community lends itself naturally to the indispensable preliminaries of love-making and courtships, which, however much they may be laughed at, contribute more than most things to the happiness of life. But in a great city all this is destroyed. In London at the present moment how many hundreds, nay thousands, of young men and young women who are living in lodgings are practically without any opportunity of making the acquaintance of each other, or of any one of the other sex. The street is no doubt the city substitute for the village green. And what a substitute it is! It has been bitterly said by one who knew well what he was talking about, there are thousands of young men today who have no right to call any woman by her Christian name except the girls they meet plying their dreadful trade in our public thoroughfares. As long as that is the case, vice has an enormous advantage over virtue. Such an abnormal social arrangement interdicts morality and places a vast premium upon prostitution. We must get back to nature if we hope to cope with this ghastly evil there ought to be more opportunities afforded for healthy human intercourse between young men and young women. Nor can society rid itself of a great responsibility for all the wrecks of manhood and womanhood with which our streets are strewn, unless it does make some attempt to bridge this hideous chasm which yawns between the two halves of humanity. The older I grow, the more absolutely am I opposed to anything that violates the fundamental law of the family. Humanity is composed of two sexes, and woe be to those who attempt to separate them into distinct bodies, making of each half one whole. It has been tried in monasteries and convents, but with poor success. Yet what our fervent Protestants do not seem to see is that we are reconstructing a similar false system for our young people without the safeguards and restraints of convent walls or the sanctifying influence of religious conviction. The conditions of city life, the absence of the enforced companionship of the village and small town, the difficulty of young people finding harmless opportunities of friendly intercourse, 
all tends to create classes of celibates who are not chaste and whose irregular and lawless indulgence of a universal instinct is one of the most melancholy features of the present state of society nay so generally is this recognized that one of the terms by which one of the consequences of this unnatural state of things is popularly known is the social evil as if all other social evils were comparatively unworthy of notice in comparison to this while i have been busily occupied in working out my scheme for the registration of labor it has occurred to me more than once why could not something like the same plan be adopted in relation to men who want wives and women who want husbands marriage is with most people largely a matter of opportunity many a man and many a woman who would if they had come together have formed a happy household are leading at this moment miserable and solitary lives suffering in body and in soul in consequence of their exclusion from the natural state of matrimony of course the registration of the unmarried who wish to marry would be a matter of much greater delicacy than the registration of the joiners and stonemasons who wish to obtain work but the thing is not impossible i have repeatedly found in my experience that many a man and many a woman would only be too glad to have a friendly hint as to where they might prosecute their attentions or from which they might receive proposals in connection with such an agency if it were established for i am not engaging to undertake this task i am only throwing out a possible suggestion as to the development in the direction of meeting a much-needed want there might be added training homes for matrimony my heart bleeds for many a young couple whom i see launching out into the sea of matrimony with no housewifery experience the young girls who leave our public elementary schools and go out into factories have never been trained to home duties and yet when taken to wife are unreasonably expected to fulfill worthily the difficult positions of the head of a household and the mother of a family a month spent before marriage in a training home of housewifery would conduce much more to the happiness of the married life than the honeymoon which immediately follows it especially is this the case with those who marry to go abroad and settle in a distant country i often marvel when i think of the utter helplessness of the modern woman compared with the handiness of her grandmother how many of our girls can even bake a loaf the baker has killed out one of our fundamental domestic arts but if you are in the backwoods or in the prairie or in the bush no baker's cart comes around every morning with the new-made bread and i have often thought with sorrow of the kind of stuff which this poor wife must serve up to her hungry husband as it is with baking so it is with washing with milking with spinning with all the arts and sciences of the household which were formerly taught as a matter of course to all the daughters who were born in the world talk about woman's rights 
one of the first of woman's rights is to be trained to her trade, to be queen of her household and mother of her children. Speaking of columnists leads me to the suggestion whether something could not be done to supply, on a well-organized system, the thousands of bachelor minors or the vast host of unmarried males who are struggling with the wilderness on the outskirts of civilization, with the capable wives from the overplus of marriageable females who abound in our great towns. Woman supplied in adequate quantities is the great moralizer of society. But woman doled out as she is in the far west and the Australian bush, in the proportion of one woman to about a dozen men, is a fertile source of vice and crime. Here again we must get back to nature, whose fundamental laws our social arrangements have rudely set on one side, with consequences which, as usual, she does not fail to exact with remorseless severity. There have always been born into the world and continue to be born boys and girls in fairly equal proportions but with colonizing and soldiering our men go away, leaving behind them a continually growing surplus of marriageable but unmarried spinsters who cannot spin, and who are utterly unable to find themselves husbands. This is a wide field on the discussion of which I must not enter. I merely indicate it as one of those departments in which an intelligent philanthropy might find a great sphere for its endeavors. But it would be better not to touch it at all than to deal with it with light-hearted precipitancy and without due consideration of all the difficulties and dangers connected therewith. Obstacles, however, exist to be overcome and converted into victories. There is even a certain fascination about the difficult and dangerous, which appeals very strongly to all who know that it is the apparently insolvable difficulty which contains within its bosom the key to the problem which you are seeking to solve. Whitechapel by the Sea In considering the various means by which some substantial improvement can be made in the condition of the toiling masses, Recreation cannot be omitted. I have repeatedly had forced upon me the desirability of making it possible for them to spend a few hours occasionally by the seaside, or even at times three or four days. Notwithstanding the cheapened rates and frequent excursions, there are multitudes of the poor who year in and out never get beyond the crowded city with the exception of dragging themselves and their children now and then to the parks on holidays or hot summer evenings. The majority, especially the inhabitants of the east of London, never get away from the sunless alleys and grimy streets in which they exist from year to year. It is true that a few here and there of the adult population, and a good many of the children, have a sort of annual charity excursion to Epping Forest, Hampton Court, or perhaps to the sea. But it is only the minority. The vast number, while possessed of a passionate love of the sea, which only those who have mixed with them can conceive, 
passed their whole lives without having once looked over its blue waters or watched its waves breaking at their feet. Now, I am not so foolish as to dream that it is possible to make any such change in society as will enable the poor man to take his wife and children for a fortnight's sojourn during the oppressive summer days to brace them up for the winter's task although this might be as desirable in their case as in that of their more highly favored fellow-creatures but i would make it possible for every man woman and child to get now and then a day's refreshing change by a visit to the never-failing source of interest in the carrying out of this plan we are met at the onset with a difficulty of some little magnitude and that is the necessity of a vastly reduced charge in the cost of the journey to do anything effective we must be able to get a man from whitechapel or stratford to the seaside and back for a shilling unfortunately london is sixty miles from the sea suppose we take it at seventy miles this would involve a journey of one hundred forty miles for the small sum of one shilling can this be done i think it can and done to pay the railway companies otherwise there is no ground to hope for this part of my scheme ever being realized but i think that this great boon can be granted to the poor people without the dividends being sensibly affected I am told that the cost of a haulage for an ordinary passenger train carrying from five hundred to a thousand persons is two shillings sevenpence per mile. A railway company could take six hundred passengers seventy miles there and bring them seventy miles back at a cost of eighteen pounds one shilling eightpence. Six hundred passengers at a shilling is thirty pounds so that there would be a clear profit to the company of nearly twelve pounds on the haulage towards the payment of interest on the capital wear and tear of the line etc but i reckon at a very moderate computation that two hundred thousand persons would travel to and fro every season an addition of ten thousand pounds to the exchequer of a railway company is not to be despised and this would be a mere bagatelle to the indirect profits which would follow the establishment of a settlement which must in due course necessarily become very speedily a large and active community this it would be necessary to bring home to the railway companies and for the execution of this part of my scheme i must wait till i get some manager sufficiently public-spirited to try the experiment when such a man is found, I propose to set at once about my seaside establishment. This will present the following special advantages, which I am quite certain will be duly appreciated by the very poorest of the London population. An estate of some three hundred acres would be purchased on which buildings would be erected, calculated to meet the wants of this class of excursionists refreshments would be provided at rates very similar to those charged at our london food depots there would of course be greater facilities in the way of rooms and accommodation generally 
lodging for individuals children and those requiring to make a short stay in the place would be supplied at the lowest prices beds for single men and single women could be charged at the low rate of sixpence a night and children in proportion while accommodation of a suitable character on very moderate terms could be arranged for married people no public houses would be allowed within the precincts of the settlement a park playground music boats covered conveniences for bathing without the expense of hiring a machine and other arrangements for the comfort and enjoyment of the people would be provided the estate would form one of the colonies of the general enterprise and on it would be grown fruit vegetables flowers and other produce for the use of the visitors and sold at the lowest remunerative rates one of the first provisions for the comfort of the excursionists would be the erection of a large hall affording ample shelter in case of unfavorable weather and in this and other parts of the place there would be the fullest opportunity for ministers of all denominations to hold religious services in connection with any excursionists they might bring with them there would be shops for tradesmen houses for residents a museum with a panorama and stuffed whale boats would be let out at moderate prices and a steamer to carry people so many miles out to sea and so many miles back for a penny with a possible bout of sickness for which no extra charge would be made in fact the railway fares and refreshment arrangements would be on such a scale that a husband and wife could have a seventy-mile ride through the green fields the new-mown hay the waving grain or fruit-laden orchards could wander for hours on the seashore have comforting and nourishing refreshment and be landed back at home sober cheered and invigorated for the small sum of three shillings a couple of children under twelve might be added at one shilling sixpence nay a whole family husband wife and four children supposing one is in arms could have a day at the seaside without obligation or charity for five shillings the gaunt hungry inhabitants of the slums would save up their halfpence and come by thousands clergymen would find it possible to bring half the poor and needy occupants of their parishes schools mothers meetings and philanthropic societies of all descriptions would come down wholesale in short what brighton is to the west end and middle classes this place would be to the east end poor nay to the poor of the metropolis generally a whitechapel by the sea now this ought to be done apart from my scheme altogether the rich corporations which have the charge of the affairs of this great city and the millionaires who would never have amassed their fortunes but by the assistance of the masses ought to say it shall be done suppose the railway companies refused to lend the great highways of which they have become the monopolists for such an undertaking without a subvention then the necessary subvention should be forthcoming if it could be made possible for the joyless toilers to come out of the sweater's den or the stifling factory 
If the seamstress could leave her needle, and the mother get away from the weary round of babydom and household drudgery for a day now and then, to the cooling, invigorating, heart-stirring influences of the sea, it should be done, even if it did cost a few paltry thousands. Let the men and women who spend a little fortune every year in continental tours, alpine climbings, yacht excursions, and many other forms of luxurious wanderings, come forward and say that it shall be possible for these crowds of their less fortunate brethren to have the opportunity of spending one day at least in the year by the sea. End of section 34 Recording by Tom Hirsch.